Well, as we said, we're in this series, this new teaching series, actually, this is the third week uh, and on hope and holiness, and I'd love you to uh, turn, if you will, to uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, and we're working through uh, verses 6 uh, through to 13. And there's a pew Bibles here, or there's also, obviously, devices. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in your presence, in the presence of God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and our Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Man, brilliant. Um, well, I wonder, um, have you had any house guests recently? Um, have you had anyone stay? Obviously, I know a number of you guys uh, are living in uh, London flats, and that makes that quite challenging. Um, but it, if, if you have got a spare room, it can be a blessing and also a challenge. Um, we've had uh, family members in the past, because living in vicarages is one of those things, provides a little bit of additional space, which is very convenient for family members. I'm not, hopefully, I'll be careful what I say now, because this is going to be recorded. But have you found yourself writing to house guests to tell them how much you're longing for them to return? Thank you so much for coming to stay with us for so long. It was amazing. I can't wait for you to come back. Have you thought about maybe coming back in the next couple of weeks and staying with us again? Have you found yourself um, longing for the return of that housemate or that house guest eating all your food, uh, using all your loo roll, uh, not uh, tidying up after them? Have you, have you been longing for them to come back uh, to stay with you again? Well, I, I love this letter. Uh, not just because it's Paul's first letter to one of the churches that he planted, the first letter we know that Paul wrote. It, it's just littered with this countercultural love. And what I'm asking is, what is this unique energy that Paul seems to have for the difficult things in life? Like, what is it that makes him long uh, for, to stay again or to, to have others stay with him? What, what is this sort of desire to, to kind of keep on laboring that doesn't seem like labor but seems like some kind of incredible love? What is it that's going to keep uh, us going? What kept Paul going? In um, some of the leadership coaching work I'm, I do, I'm often asking leaders, you know, why are you doing this? And they'll say things like, well, I'm doing it because I fell into it, or uh, I'm doing it because I've always done it, uh, or I'm doing it because it just seemed like the logical thing to do, or I'm doing it just because I need to pay the bills. I, I think you can correlate the happiest leader to the best sort of energy for a task, and that is I'm doing it because I love it. I'm doing it because I love it. And people will do all sorts of incredible things because they love something or someone. Uh, Ian ran uh, the London Marathon last week for Glassdoor. Fantastic work. Now, I don't think Ian is a mad 
social runner, but uh, I know that he loves the charity that he was running for, so he was willing to put himself through the paces in order that he might be able to demonstrate love, and that love was demonstrated through significant sacrifice. I know that as a church, we've been hosting a number of Ukrainians, families in different ways, and that there's a, a genuine sense of love, a desire to help, a love of people to say, hey, come on, we want to we do what we can. Say families is a, a great example. Hopefully no one will sign up and go to Laura, I feel really obligated uh, to do something for safe families because that is what a good person would do. I am not a good person. I do not want to do anything for safe families, but I am obligated to do something for safe families. What can I do? You know, that's not the kind of, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe helping is better than not helping, but, but is that the energy that's going to sustain you on your journey? And, and what's unique and powerful about Thessalonians specifically is this really early persecution that was really, really powerful. And had the Thessalonian church not had a, a, a pure energy to stay the course, they would have just fold it and gone, this is just too hard for me. Last week, Russ looked at the imitation game in Thessalonians. Um, when should we say no? How do we grow? And how can we do small things with great love? And this third week in our sermon series, we want to ask, what's love got to do with it? Or is it just a crazy little thing called love? Eskimos have got four words uh, for snow. Aput, which means snow on the ground. Kwana, which means falling snow. Piskipok, which means drifting snow. And Quimskuk, which means snow drift. I think they have a few others as well, but they are the four kind of most commonly used uh, words around snow. But whenever I'm in the snow, I just describe it as snow. <laughs> there is snow on the ground. There is snow in the air. There is snow moving. Uh, and uh, uh, the snow is snow. It's snowy snow. And there's not really any other way of describing it. Some people do say there's powder snow. They can differentiate. But generally, it's either snow or it's not snow. And, and, and I think that lack of differentiation is a problem sometimes. In London, it's normally dirty snow. And we want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. And the connotation of the lack of the, our ability to differentiate between snow is that, is that yeah, it, it's relatively ineffectual because we don't need to worry about snow here, but we do need to worry about love. And our use of the term love in its simplistic way, just as snow is helpful to Eskimos to understand what snow is today, love as one package is not differentiated in a way that's helpful for us as an energy. People say, well, um, why are you doing that? Oh, because I love it. Or I love so-and-so. Oh, that's interesting. I get that. Okay, do I? Are you, what sort of love is this? You know, what, what is the sort of energy behind your love for this person or this activity? And the Greeks knew a bit about love. And in fact, they had these four core words around love that just like the Eskimos and their snow could help them to differentiate what unique sort of love gave them an energy to do a particular thing. Affection, storge, is fondness through familiarity, especially between family members. Philia is a strong uh, bond existing between people who share a common interest or activity. It's kind of around friendship. Eros is a love that we all know is a sense of being in love or sensual or physical love. And then there's this agape love, this unconditional love directed towards, towards one's neighbor, which isn't dependent on any lovable qualities that that object of love possesses. 
Agape is the love that brings forth caring regardless of circumstance. If you look here in the verse in, uh, text in verse 6, Timothy's come back from Thessalonica with good news of your faith and love. And the Greek here uses again the word agape, good news about your faith and that love, that unique love which is self-giving despite difficult circumstances. Paul's not coming back and going, oh, we had such a filia time. It was so, so filled with friendship and, oh, it was wonderful. And didn't we all become the best of friends? I think Paul was probably quite a tricky personality. You know, spending a lot of time studying Paul, I kind of thinking, oh, he can be quite abrasive. He's kind of difficult. He had quite a few arguments. You know, as a peacemaker, I could imagine myself generally trying to placate Paul, staying out a little bit out of his way in case he had one of those blow-up days. In a short space of time, I find it hard to believe that Paul's become the best of friends with the Thessalonians. It's also pretty clear that Paul didn't have any love interests with the Thessalonians. Now, this wasn't about eros, about romantic love. And this certainly wasn't his family. We actually know very, very little, if anything, about Paul's actual physical family, his biological family. This love that he's experiencing is all about a sacrificial, self-giving love, which he's seeded into the Thessalonian church, in which he is also receiving from the Thessalonian church. It's really significant that Paul's measurement of the health of the church is made in two categories, faith and agape. Faith in God and sacrificial love. And if you think about the persecuted church in the first century, that makes a lot of sense because having faith in God precipitated a horrific level of attack, of sacrifice, of suffering. And so if you had faith and you faced attack and persecution, you had also to have a deeply sacrificial love that went beyond the maybe more superficial levels of the other three loves. You needed something that was really uh, powerful and took you beyond the necessity for reciprocation. We find ourselves drawn back into our sermon uh, a couple of weeks ago from 1 Thessalonians 1.3. We remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That idea that actually the, the tough stuff, the kind of labor is coming out of love. It's not coming out of the fluffy stuff. It's kind of born of a kind of deep and visceral love that goes beyond the normal transactional ways in which love works. And I want, to, I want to kind of bring a level of encouragement here to say that we are not in the West particularly schooled in agape love. You know, we, 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 we think we're so entrenched and enculturated in the idea of love being something that is good for them and good for us, that it is very transactional. And, and we have quite a naturally egocentric perspective on love. When I spend, I spend a lot of time counselling couples married and preparing for marriage uh, and people who are struggling in relationship. And there's a lot of referencing, and I totally understand it about how I feel. But they don't make me feel good at the moment. <laughs> well, how are you making them feel? Well, hopefully I'm making them feel good. We sort of transact around feelings. Or well, I'm not sure my marriage is going really well because I'm not feeling it right now. How long have you been married? Well, six or seven years. Okay, well, what are you going to do about that? Well, I don't know. Should I leave? 
No, I don't think you should leave. I think you should keep on persisting in love. Of course, filia is important. Eros is important. Storge is important. But unless at the kind of heart of your marriage there is an agape love, there's a self, self-giving love, your marriage might well struggle. Gary Chapman has a great book we've talked about a few times before called The Love Languages, and uh, it's a really helpful tool to understand how other people express and feel love, and that helps couples particularly to transact their love well. If one speaks French and the other speaks German, and one speaking French to the German, and the German speaking German to the French, and they don't understand each other, it's a great way to create a lot of conflict. But if when the French are speaking German and the German speaking French, they can begin to communicate well together, and that's a really good thing. And same is true for love languages. There is uh, quality time, words of affection, physical touch, uh, acts of service. Every guy's praying, please, Lord, let my wife not long for acts of service to be her primary love language. I really want physical love or words of affection. I married someone who loves, who really, really loves acts of service. That's their primary love language. And I love words of affection. <laughs> so I'm like, I really love you, like the morning sun rising over the hills. Have you done the washing up yet, love? Have you taken out the bins yet? Look, I'm just sharing something really poetic and loving with you. Just If you just do those few jobs, that would really show me that you really love me. I've worked it out now. Just do the jobs. Just do the jobs. But, you know, the, the reality of, of love is, you know, of the surface level, of course, we express it in different ways, but the heart of love has to be this sacrificial love, this self-giving love. But the trouble is we can run out of energy for that because we haven't got full pockets. You know, we, we, we can't keep giving away because we can't keep sacrificing of ourselves without becoming depleted. You know, we need to plug in to the mains, to somewhere where we can receive love in order that we can begin to give love away freely. I think a healthy church is earmarked by an unconditional love directed towards one's neighbor that's not dependent on any lovable qualities or the object to love possesses. And agape has to be that love. That agape love that comes from God to us and then comes from us to others. I've said a few times how my, my belief, my confidence in the resurrected Jesus is largely rooted in the transformation of the disciples and the foundations of the early church because only a supernatural love from God could sustain a church against that level of persecution. Now, if you really like tied into some kind of hocus-pocus myth that someone had created on the back of a first-century envelope and shared with their mates, would you really be up for it if they started feeding you to the lions? I'd be quite quickly going, yeah, um, it was uh, Fred's fault. Uh, he made up the story. I, I kind of pretended to believe it, but I don't really believe it anymore. Um, can I go now? You know, unless you had a genuine supernatural encounter with God, you could not be sustained in the face of the fire. And yet here, very early on, just 30 years after Jesus was crucified, the Thessalonians are willing to face heavy persecution because they've encountered a sacrificial love, a love from God that's resourced them for further sacrifice. And, and Paul's reflecting on that interaction here. He's, he's struck by the dynamic. And, and I think he's... Um, 
I think he's moved by it. He says in verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. And now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. I love that. Now we really live because you're standing firm in the Lord. That's like I'm having a party over here because you're really standing firm in the Lord. It's so like tangential and disconnected in so many ways because you're like why am I why am I really living because you're really standing firm in the Lord surely you're really living because you're standing firm in the Lord but that's how deeply intersectional Paul's relationship with the Thessalonian church was he really felt like he could really live now the church he planted was really living and that's really the core of Christian evangelism. Why should, why should I feel passionate about evangelism? Why should I feel passionate about sharing my faith? Because I'm really living when other people are really living with Christ. Paul felt totally like blown up. He felt totally like on fire, like in a completely new way. He, he was alive, really living, because he saw the Thessalonian church not folding in the face of persecution. He was just moved to like, I don't know how he did what his really living bit was. Maybe he had like a special first century dance or something that he did with Timothy. But there was certainly like some energy behind him to say, now I'm really coming alive because you're coming alive in faith. C.S. Lewis recognizes agape as the greatest of loves and sees it as a specifically Christian virtue. He's writing, he's writing on the subject, focuses on the need of subordinating the natural loves to the love of God. So we take those other loves and, and we, we press them down and we subordinate them to that first love, the love that God has for us. It's out of that agape love, out of that sacrificial love, all of the other loves flow or are boundaried in a way that is healthy. Lewis states, he, God, is so full, in fact, of that love that it overflows and he can't help but love us. That God can't help himself but love us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That God can't help but love us. And he loves us most viscerally, most dynamically, most overwhelmingly through his self-sacrifice on the cross. And because the kind of core of God's love is to sacrifice and give of himself in an unrequited way, when we respond in the same manner, we echo God's love for us to the world around us. People often ask me, you know, why are you a Christian over other religions? And it's a great question. I often say, because I think Christianity is true. Uh, because I've seen God transform people's lives. And they're like, well, how have you seen God transform people's lives? Well, I've, said, I've seen people who care less about people care in a way which I can't describe. And that level of transformation of care is something that I believe can only come from the love of God. People who just like, I really don't care about other people, I'm just in it for myself, who encounter the sacrificial love of God, and then I find them doing all sorts of crazy things which have no benefit for themselves personally, and yet they feel, they feel just liberated to live because they've experienced a love which has liberated them to love. Like, why are you here? I'm here because I'm loved. What do you want to do with what you've learned here? I want to love others because I'm loved. 
know, the, the chain, if you like, the flow of the love of God is so powerful because agape love, being loved without offering anything in return, does the opposite of what it says on the tin. When we're loved without offering anything in return, we're prompted to love others without receiving anything in return. That's the irony of agape. Like, it could be ultimately selfish. You get something for nothing. But weirdly, as you receive it, it transforms you to want to give away something for nothing. How are you doing with the loves right now? Because I want to tell you something, maybe quite personal, really, but I often think about love a bit like money. I think, oh, when I've got enough of it, then I'll start giving some away. I think, if I've got a load of money, if I won the lottery, not that I do anymore, anyway. <laughs> if I won loads of money, and I would give loads away. Like, that would be great. Like, if I had loads of money. It's the same with love. Like, if I had loads of, like, free time, and, like, you know, I had lots of love to spare, then I'd like start doing agape things because that would be great because I'd have like, I've got loads so I can share loads. The weird thing is, you never get enough eros filiae storge in your tank to make you want to give away agape. You know, like I feel so romantically loved right now, I'm just ready to go and help someone. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Like, uh, or, or I've got such great relationship with my family, now I want to go and bless other families. Yeah. I'm really, just really glad I've got a great relationship with my family. Or I've got such an amazing friend group, fantastic. We love spending all our time together. It's not transforming anything. I, I think they're brilliant. All of them are important, but it's only that agape love of God which is going to transform us to transform others. And the amazing thing is you don't need to have it to give it away because it was never yours in the first place. Like Actually, when we start sacrificing in love... God isn't a debtor. He doesn't go, oh, I'll let you run out and then I'll give you some when you come back to me. When you plug in to start exercising the love of the kingdom of God, this agape love, God flows in after you and then suddenly you're connected to the mains. The weird thing about loving in an agape way is you just, it's totally addictive in the best possible way. When you start doing it, it's just like, oh, I'll keep on doing it. And actually, it's not really costing me very much. You think of all of the loves, the sacrificial love would be the one that cost you the most. In my experience of helping people in Christian ministry, Eros is by far and away the most exhausting of all the loves. That's what people spend most of their time talking about. How can I get my relationship straight? I really love this person, but they're doing my head in. With agape love, you're not like going, oh, God's really doing my head in today. No, it doesn't work like that. You just start enacting the kingdom of God and exercising love. And actually, it's the freest and most liberating and healthy way of loving. It's the least expensive, if you like, in emotional terms. It might cost you a bit in terms of your money and your time. But God amazingly, generously seeds in after us. He pours out his agape love into our hearts. And it is remarkable. One of the things I absolutely love about 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 to 13, it's an expression not only of the health of the Thessalonian church, but it's an expression of the incredible transformation that's taken place in Paul himself. He's like saying, I love this church. They're on fire for love. Here's a guy who's been killing all the Christians. (laughs) And he's like, 
he's doing a massive loving with the Thessalonians. The people he was persecuting are now the people he's showering with love. People he's celebrating with love. And that's proved to the point that you cannot outgive God. When Paul starts, turns around and starts seeding love rather than violence into the church, God resources his heart in a way that transforms his life. And suddenly this guy's gone from being an awkward hater to this great big live-in lover. Saying, I can't wait to see you again. I miss you so much. Paul is often instructional and directive. And it's, it's just incredible to read this. I'm, interesting as we, you know, as we've gone through all the different letters that Paul's written, you'll notice that Paul becomes a bit more instructional later on. It's not lacking in love, but if you just read Galatians or Corinthians a bit more, or Romans specifically, a bit more sort of directly, you suddenly go, it's not as like unfiltered as Thessalonians is. Thessalonians is like really giddy. And like in Romans, he's not quite as giddy, but and there's a bit more instruction. But with Thessalonians, there's just like, you just get a pure view of how much he loves the church he's planted and how he celebrates the sacrifice that they're expressing. The key to life of Paul is the agape love of God given to him despite himself. And I think wanting to help you guys walk forward in hope and holiness. <laughs> Wanting you guys to walk together in hope and holiness. I, I guess I, I want to just ask you to, to press into the Holy Spirit of God and say, God, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit in a way that stirs me to an agape love that's not dependent on me, but is totally rooted in you and all that you have given to your world. And, you know, I know that I can be naturally spiritually narcissistic. I'm like, God, if I could just have another really great encounter with you, that would be really amazing. Then I'll give away. And I have to break those prayers about me and how I feel all the time into, God, I know how you feel about these people. How can I serve them with an agape love that you'll resource me with? Like, actually, I've realized that the joy is not in me getting a spiritual high in ministry, it's got to be about seeing the church growing and flourishing and seeing people come alive. Like actually the joy is beyond the personal into the collective because he's called us together as a vine. And when we see our brothers and sisters grow and flourish, then we grow and flourish like Paul does. Like I really live because I'm seeing you filled with faith. I would love us all tonight to walk out of the room with that verse in our minds, that, that we, would, we, we would really live because we can see your faith. We've got this deep joy that makes us want to go further. He says in verse 10, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Night and day. I don't think he was making it up. I don't think it was like, it was like, wasn't saying like, you know, night and day is like a colloquial phrase. He was really hungry for this. He was really going for it. So night and day, I want to supply you with more. And it's feeding my soul to serve you, but it's feeding your souls to see you encountering God in this way. How can we do that? How can we really live? 
Paul is saying, may God fill you or us with agape. I know that some of us here struggle with what are called spiritual low self-esteem. And that's that God fix me and then I'll begin fixing others. You know, or God, you couldn't possibly use me. You've got to use all the holy people in the room. Uh, and I'm not one of them. Or God, I'm just a seat warmer. Let me into the kingdom of God. I'll, I'll be one of the ones who sneaks in through the fire. I, I want you to all know that you are all work men and work women who God has called and God who God has approved of because of your relationship with Jesus. And if that's the case, then you can work in the spiritual realm in faith with agape love to serve each other and the world in order that you might see faith grow. Now, the devil wants to prowl around and steal our confidence to exercise the love that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. And we'll say, oh, <clears throat> that's for the good people. We are all good because God has made us good. We didn't start that way. None of us did. We've been made good because Christ died for us. And now we can exercise the love that he demonstrated for us to one another. You know, as we step out of this place tonight, I want you to see this not as a fluffy feeling, but as a sharp sword to do the spiritual work that God has commanded us to take part in. If we always see love in the soft and in the woolly, we'll never see the way in which agape love cuts through all of the rubbish in the world around us and really sets Christ apart. Sometimes people say, oh, that's remarkable, that level of sacrifice. Let's look at the cross for a minute and see the level of sacrifice that began it all and say, that is remarkable sacrifice. You are all little Christs. That's what Christians mean. And as you exercise your agape love, your most dynamically little Christs, because we can only love like God loved us because we are God's children. You can only exercise that level of love when you know that love for yourself. And you can only resource that level of love when God is resourcing it for you, not when you're resourcing it for yourself. So tonight, say, God... I want to exercise agape love. Fill me with your spirit afresh and give me eyes, give me revelation to see where I can outwork your agape love in the lives of others, in the lives of the church, in the lives of safe families, in the lives of your communities at work, in the lives of your neighbors. What will set you apart will be the love that God has shown you, exercised through your hands and your heart. Why don't you stand? We're going to pray before we worship again. Maybe just like to hold out your hands because we want to receive something from God tonight. Holy Spirit, would you come to every heart in the room longing for a resourcing of agape love? Father, come Holy Spirit, let us receive and then see a revelation of where we can exercise your sacrificial, self-giving love in the world around us. Come Holy Spirit.